Panther, Tennessee. Amen. Amen. Man, if you don't believe in your own state, we need you to move out. <laughs> like talking to my kids, you better believe what you believe. Uh, someone... I'm back on now. Psalm 112, verse 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man or the woman or the person that fears God and delights in his commandments. Uh, the King James says, His seat will be mighty upon this planet. Now, I read the New Living. I like the way it reads. The New Living says, His children will be successful everywhere. Now, I've got six, and I need them to be successful. Now, we laugh about that, but I can't afford them to go stupid on me. I need you to, I need you to succeed. It's God's will that you succeed. And if you ever do a word study on that, the opposite of success is not failure. If you look it up in your dictionary, the opposite of success is mediocrity. Now, Jesus had something to say about being mediocre. He said, I would that you were hot or cold, but the fact you're lukewarm, he said, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's just an ugly saying. (laughs) But the point of it is, you ought to be chasing something. And so, one of the things I realized when we were Having children, I don't want you to be nice. And that was my initial goal. What do you want? I want nice kids. I want you to be nice and polite. And I want you to pass algebra and say, yes, sir. And yes, ma'am. And no, sir. And no, ma'am. I want you to be polite. But then I realized after a while that nice people finish last. That's not a bumper sticker. It's a... The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. When Jesus hired a staff. Of the 12 apostles, the first three he picked were cousins. I'm picking up where I left off last year, by the way. He, he picked cousins, Peter, James, and John, and they, they were mean. They were mean boys. Peter's going to cut your ear off. Jesus is going to have to put it back on. Twice, James and John are going to try to call fire out of heaven and burn you to a crispy crinkle. Jesus is going to have to stop them. They were tough old boys. When, when Jesus got into trouble, he took Peter, James, and John. When he went to raise the girl from the dead, the other nine didn't go. He took Peter, James, and John. When Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration to meet with the Lord, he took Peter, James, and John. When everything got tight, late at night when Jesus has worked all day and he's going to go off to pray, the only three that ever went with him are Peter, James, and John. There's always another level of people that want to press in closer. And I realize as a parent, I'm getting older. And I like getting older because the Bible says I'm going to live forever. I never worry about getting old. I'm eternal. Really, you got to get that in you. Man, I don't like getting older. You're going to live forever. Shut your face up. You're going to live forever. You're not going to get older. You're just going to drop off this body and get a new one one day. We're going to live forever. Just make sure where that place is. You're going to live forever <laughs> with Jesus in eternity, not some other place. And so every year uh, as the kids got older and, you know, we were pleased with what they did and proud sometimes. And uh, I realized my kids weren't perfect because we weren't perfect. Uh, but they were growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. They got born again, spirit-filled. We had them in a great local church and still do. And, and as they became adults, they just sort of picked that up and continued that like it was normal to go to church when the doors open and to volunteer and to pay your tithe and to go work and do stuff. They think that's normal. It's not because they're holier than somebody else. It just became a habit, training them up in the way they should go. But then I began to realize even as adults, you know, life doesn't always smooth out. Life's not fair. Tests and trials come to everybody. Are you going to be an overcomer or more than a conqueror? Are you going to be a whiner and a thumbsucker about stuff? Because we're all tempted to do that. 
So I got to thinking, I want you to succeed at whatever it is you put your hand to. So you go back, and there are certain basic things, and we do this every year. We just did it at Christmas time. We do it every year with our adult kids and their spouses. We go back through and do the who, what, where, how, why, when, six one-word questions, right out of five-year vision, because where there's no vision, the people perish. So every year we recast their vision. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Because if you can't see that, you're going to be nowhere five years from now. You've got to start I think I'd like to be here, and I want to do this, and I want to accomplish this. Great, because we want you to succeed at that. So number one, you need to know who you are in him, in whom, in Christ. Because you by yourself, you're not going to get anything done. Jesus said, without him, I can't do anything, but with him all things are possible. That He'll order my steps and direct my paths and guide me all truth and show me things to come. Talk to me when I go to sleep. He'll never leave me, but he won't make me listen. I've got to on purpose chase God. So to succeed at whatever you're doing, you're going to need God. I can't do it without, I can't do anything without him. So I'm trying to bore that in my kids on a regular basis. And then we, we write it out every year. And I said, well, I don't want you not to, I'm never worried about you failing. I just don't want you to turn out to be mediocre. I want you to make an impact. If Jesus tarries, I want people to remember you were here. The Bible says that the blessings of the righteous go to a thousand generations. You ought to leave an impact on this planet after you leave. Do something worthwhile. Help somebody. Be a blessing to somebody. So, we're coming down through this this last year, and I said, we're going to go through this again. I said, what is, I want you to succeed and be successful. And, of course, the opposite of that is being mediocre. So, I want you to get real good at something. So, what is the one thing you're good at? And we take the test every year. We do the, uh, it's not the unemployment test. that You can't get those anymore, but it's sort of a facsimile of it. So, I give them an unemployment test. I give them a test from the Psychological Test Corporation out of Fort Worth. It's an academic skills test. Are you good in math, science, English, and history? Where's your strength? You're going to make money with your strength, not your weakness. So what are you good at? That's what people are going to hire you for. Uh, number three, the discover your God-given gifts, which is the greatest one. It's still in Barnes & Noble. You can buy it. A great couple. They used to be in California. They're retired in Jacksonville, Florida. Spirit-filled professional educators. And so they took Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 9, and, and buddy, they went through there. And it's a big, thick book. You just really need to go to the middle section and take the test. Are you a perceiver? Are you a teacher? Are you a giver? Because there are certain vocations that line up with your God-given gifts, and God gifted you at the moment of conception. Psalms 139, verse 15 and 16. Jeremiah 29, 11. I go through all the scriptures again. You are gifted. Your teacher might not have recognized that. Your coach might not have recognized that. But God Almighty says you were gifted before I ever met your mother. God saw you coming, has a divine plan for your life. I want you to succeed at that. I don't want you to be one of those people because uh, we're, we're doing a lot of senior citizens in our family right now. My, my, mom, uh, my mom got arrested this last year. That's, that's never happened. And uh, she's 80. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just, uh, I was going to do a seminar up in Wisconsin and I was flying through Chicago and the the plane got canceled five different times, and I'm running out of time. And I said, man, i got to rent a car because I'm barely going to make it for that morning session. So I rented a car, and I drove up to Madison, Wisconsin. So I didn't get to the hotel about 2.30 in the morning. And since I got there, all of a sudden the phone rings. I thought, who's calling me? And I get on, and it's, it's, we have family members that are in the police force, and so the county sheriffs and Joe. I said, yeah, this is Frank. Hey, Frank, now, now our family's weird. We, we think some things are funny that aren't funny. So we'll pull jokes on one another that's not funny. I mean, we think it is, but not other normal people wouldn't think it's funny. And so Joe said, I got your mother here in the car. And I knew what he mean, but please, God. I said, what? I said, listen, 
Frank, I'm tired. It's 2.30 in the morning, man. I've, I've been in the airport all day. Flight got canceled five times. No, no, seriously. Here, you want to talk to her? No, no, no. All of a sudden I said, son? Mom? <laughs> yeah. I said, put Frank back on the phone. So, so what do you do? I said, well, uh, evidently about 2 o'clock this morning, she left the house. And her sister standing with her. And evidently she walked right past her out the back door and walked about a mile and a half down the road. And she fell in a ditch. And the neighbors didn't know what it was. They thought it was a prowler. They called us. We come. And sure enough, there's somebody in the ditch. And it was your mom. And, uh, and so, you know, by the time I got there, the other, the other county guy got there, and he, he's ordered to put her in the back seat and arrested her. I said, take my mom home. We can't. We've already booked her. <laughs> I said, my mom's an 80-year-old woman. Take my mom home. So I can't do it, man. You have to talk to her. She's kind of wacky right now. And, uh, and so I put back, long story short, uh, my mom had been diagnosed with dementia about three years ago. And, uh, but nothing ever showed up. I mean, she still ran her farm and mowed the grass, paid her bills, house is immaculate. She, I mean, we see her doctor three times a year. And she's got, you know, an oncologist. Got, we got the cancer doctor. We got the neurologist, the brain doctor, her medical doctor. We keep up on stuff, make sure you're taking your vitamins and what you're supposed to be doing. So evidently we just went whack on a full moon night and she didn't know where she was. She thought, she, she told the police, I'm going, where are you going? I was going down to visit the McClure's down here. You know, so do you know it's 2 o'clock in the morning? She said, no, it's not. It's the middle of the day. It was a full moon, though. They say stuff about full moons, you know. And so, well, that's not the sun, that's the moon. And, uh, and the family she was going to visit had died 40 years ago. They weren't there. So I thought, okay, we got a problem. I said, listen, get her, get her down to the hospital after you book her and just while well, I get my uncle. So I had to get my 82-year-old uncle and my 88-year-old aunt to go get her because I had more of the relatives back there. So it's the old folks gathering and... Uh, and so I got to catch a plane the next day and fly in, and um, my mom was fine. She had one of those lucid moments. And so I thought, what is this? So we went back and retested, and we'll come to find out the dementia is sort of moving. And so, so all of a sudden, she also had a, a, a medical condition that's normal for women that comes up about every six months in her life. And when it does, it makes her mentally go whack. And so we got her, you know, some medication, got her normal. But we've, we've lived in Chattanooga for the last six months. I've not been in Tulsa. I had to get my wife to come back, and we're trying to take care of my mom. Is this okay? Is she normal? And every day you realize she could say good things, and every day you realize you're not normal. <laughs> we're just getting some wacky conversations like, now, who are you? Well, I'm your son. You know, your only son, your, your son. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's going to be good, because otherwise I shouldn't be here in the house. So we finally had to get her in a, in a retirement place. And it's a magnificent place. It is a Taj Mahal, chandeliers. I mean, it's, it's not secure. You can walk out anytime you want. Man, they have big water fountains and shrubberies. And it's very expensive. Now, she's got a great insurance policy. And we're still waiting for them to write us a check. But up to now, we have been Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. You find out how much you love somebody when you have to write a check. Like, how, how much is that? Because I, I realized I can't leave her alone, and Denise has got to go back to Tulsa every now and then. I said, okay, where can we put her? Well, you've got, so most of the places are just scary. You've been there. You've got family there. It's like, oh, dear God, I'd just soon lock her up in the barn somewhere. I'm not going to put her in here. It's just scary. It's scary to walk in here. Plus, it smells. You know, and, and why is he drooling? And, you know, uh, you know we can laugh, but it's, it's a lot. Oh, Jesus, I do not want to end up like this. With long life, will you satisfy me? Show me your salvation. Praise God. I'm going, I'm going to keep my brain all the way to the end. 
And, and so we're starting to plead the blood, bind the devil, and lay hands on her and call her. And she's got the mind of Christ and wisdom of God. But at the same time, we've got to find out natural things. And so we're hunting down natural information. And so come to find out, I realize, okay, she's had this, this infection, you know, in her body. Like, what? She said, well, no, and the doctor said, well, no, that'll make her mentally just go off the edge. You've got to be kidding. No, no. Well, let's fix it. 24 hours, she's fine. So uh, we finally got her in a beautiful place. I mean, the single most expensive, nicest place in Chattanooga. Happens to be a mile from her house. I thought that would help. She doesn't know where her house is a mile away. She, she doesn't know. And so she's great, but, you know, we're just still wandering around. And uh, so, so we start the year off. Uh, I get a phone call January 1st. said, Joe, your, your mom's she's gone somewhere. You mean she's not in the building? Well, not right now. Well, I'm 753 miles away. Exactly what would you like for me to do about that right now? Do I need to call the police, call somebody? Well, I just want you to know we're looking for her. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. That's going to make my day, and I, I appreciate that. So we're praying. Well, some of the, she was in the building. She was just wandering around. So they got her. So we get into Chattanooga, and because I got a big several seminars this month down here in this part of the country. And, and so mom went whack, whack. She went crazy, violent, and mad, and cussing. My mother never cussed. She cussed really good. Like, I didn't, know, I didn't even know she knew all those words. Whoa. And so what is? So we found out it's another infection. So we're having to go through the process. They want to put her in secure care. And if you, some of you have relatives there, like, I don't want to go in secure care. That's like going into a vault and you just sit there like a zombie. My mom's not that crazy. She's just got something out of sync. We can fix it. We can fix it. So, man, we're praying in the Holy Ghost, pleading the blood, buying the devil, seeing the doctor. Somewhere there's an answer. And sure enough, we finally found the third doctor. He said, oh, it's this. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, how do we fix that? Well, take this little pill. It's just real natural. You've got to be kidding. Oh, no, she'll be fine in about four hours. Got her a pill. We're down there. They're getting ready to take over secure care and handcuff her and white sheet. You know the deal. They're going to lock her up. And all of a sudden, it's like she came back to earth. Hey, what you doing here? We're trying to get you sane. <laughs> do you know me? Of course I know you. That's a stupid question. Not wasn't 10 minutes ago. I can tell you that right now. So we finally got that settled, and uh, she's doing great this morning and knows whatever's going on, and, uh, and we're having to work on that a day at a time. Now, Matthew 5, 9 said, blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. Your job and my job as Christians is to fix stuff that's busted. That's what we talked about last year. Well, I want to succeed at that. So I, when you, my wife and I are talking, what are we believing God for? Well, I'm believing for my mom to be healed, yeah, but she doesn't believe in healing. Well, I do. <laughs> she does it. So where do we meet on this? I don't know. I'll get back with you on that. And so I'm having to find scriptures. God, you know, you promised long life. You know, she wants to live long. She don't want to be wacky. And said, so, so we're trying to find scriptures, and we can agree on that. We can take two. Now, Mom, here's what we're agreeing for you. We're believing you've got the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, and you're going to live to be of a ripe old age. You've got relatives live to be 100. You've still got 20 years to go, so quit going stupid. And let's start enjoying life, you know. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not make, trying to be funny. I'll tell her straight up. We're real blunt. I said, man, you're in a great place. It's a magnificent facility. They've got activities every day. The food is magnificent. Chandeliers. They give her a menu. It's like, my God, it's like you're in the Taj Mahal. I said, now, we're paying out the wazoo for it right now because we're waiting on the insurance to kick those checks in, which I think are coming next week in Jesus' name. And so, <laughs> and so we're, we're walking to that. What are you doing? Well, I'm fixing it. Is it fixed? No, but I'm fixing it. Is it fixed? No, but I'm fixing it. And what happens is we, we get, we're sort of in this society where we, we can flip a switch and everything goes perfect. Well, it doesn't. And so it's helped, I'll be honest, it's helped me grow in my marriage. 
<laughs> it has. It stressed us out. And so, because we're having to realize, okay, what do you believe in? What am I believing? What are you thinking? What am I thinking? What are we trying to accomplish here? I don't want to fight you. I got, I'm fighting the devil. I don't need to fight you. What are we trying to do here? Well, I think we're trying to do this. Well, let's write that down on a piece of paper. Let's get an agreement. Let's call the kids, and I'll get my staff, and we're going to start agreeing for this. Well, like I said this morning, mom's great. Went through hell, but it's great. But we had to find out some natural stuff. We've always prayed. We've always believed God. I believe in pleading the blood. I believe in binding the devil. I believe in praying in the Holy Ghost. But after a while, you have to get up and do something natural. And there's where we have to learn to connect the dots. What natural thing do I need to do? Well, we found out. It took several days, and we did that. So, anyhow, uh, we, we left there. I did a seminar uh, Saturday through Wednesday in Chattanooga and took off Thursday to Young Harris, Georgia. But if you've never been there, you ought to go. That's a beautiful place, middle of nowhere. Went to Young Harris, Georgia to do a seminar, a uh, parenting seminar, and then I left and, uh, at noon on Saturday to book it to Knoxville. I spoke to 500 businessmen last night. Got there at 5 o'clock, started speaking when I got there, and we finished. We finished at 1 a.m. this morning. That was a hungry bunch. I finally had to sit down like, more? All right. Okay, we'll take a break, go to the bathroom, come back. More. And so, incredible time. You know, several people found Jesus, and it was just an amazing deal. So, we get up this morning, and we're trying to remember, are they on Central Standard? Are they on Eastern? No, they're on Central Standard. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We got an extra hour. Praise God. <laughs> Except, we started talking about family while we're sitting there. And an hour and a half later, it's like, I think we just lost that extra hour. We got to go now. And so, and so we're getting over here, and I'm thinking, you know, I know what I was supposed to share this morning, so I'm going to get to it right here. Because the practical part of this, this is going to be a jubilee year for a lot of people. This, it is. But you got to do the natural. You know, you walk around the walls of Jericho, God knocks them down. You lift up the staff, God parts the water. You make the mud, God opens the eyes. I move, God moves, I move, God moves, I move, God moves. If I don't move, God doesn't move. I've got to be moving, taking steps of faith. You can't wait until it's perfect. I've shared so many times in, you know, in the Old and New Testament, you know, you can't wait for perfection. God sent the prophet to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. He said, I'm through with Saul. I have another king. I need you to go anoint him king of Israel. So he goes to the house of Jesse, knocks on the door and says, what can I do for you? He says, well, I'm a prophet of God. I'm here to anoint your son, king of Israel. He said, which one? He said, what? He said, which one? I don't know. How many you got? Well, I got a house full of them. God didn't say anything about that. So he lines up the boys, oldest to the youngest, seven boys. And Sam's saying, like, well, now, which one is it? You know, because if you don't make this right, the greatest source of entertainment back in the Old Testament was stoning a false prophet. So you really need to get this. <laughs> so he's looking. God's not moving, but he's already committed. He said he's here to anoint his son. I can't leave. Now I'm in the middle of it. Great. So he looks at the oldest photogenic face, thinks that's got to be him. He looks like a king. Starts to anoint him with oil, and God says, right before he pours the oil on his head, that's not him. Well, you want to tell me which one it is? No, you keep moving. I'll let you know. <laughs> it's probably the second born. They're usually more aggressive than the first born. God said, that's not him. Third, no. Fourth, no. So he gets seven no's in a row, and he finally looks at, oh, my goodness, man, there's seven kids and seven. He said, Jesse, you got any more boys? And Jesse's just thinking, just, I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah? You're kidding. Well, where's he at? So he's outside. We don't let him in the house. He smells like sheep. 
will go get him. And the Bible says that the ruddy-complected runt of the family, David, comes running into the house. And the message translation, you know, the prophet says, dear God, you've got to be kidding. He says, no, you're judging from the outside. I see his heart. He's my next king. Soak him. And so he poured the oil over his head and it said, he said, you're our next king. God help us. And of course, he did do a really good job, you know, David and Goliath, the lion, the bear. You know, some great stories in here. No, it's no different than the New Testament. In Acts 5, God sends the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he's going to send him to the Gentile world to preach the gospel. Well, he, he heads out there, and he gets over there to the first town, sets up a tent, and getting ready to preach, and God said, this isn't it. He says, what? You told me to go to the Gentile world. I know, but this isn't it. Well, this whole city's full of Gentiles, and they're all heathens going to hell. Yeah, but this isn't it. Well, where is it? Well, you keep moving, I'll let you know. And if you just start in Acts 5 and read it, it's really entertaining. He goes to six cities in a row, and every time he gets there, God said, this isn't it. Would you like to tell me where it is? No, you keep moving, I'll let you know. And finally, city seven, Macedonia, that was it. Now, I could harp on this all day, but I've tried to put it to my kids. You will not be successful if you're waiting on a burning bush and three angels to appear to you. Because here's the term you hear. We do about 80 seminars a year. Here's the term you hear, my kids. Well, what's going on? Well, we're waiting on God. I said, you're what? Yeah, we're waiting on the Lord. To, to do what? You think he's busy and he's backlogged right now and, you know, you're going to have to take a number? You're a number 48,000. Because we're really backlogged up here right now, man. People are praying and hollering and screaming. We got a lot going on. We'll get to you next week. <laughs> God's all knowing and all powerful. You're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. So I said to be successful, you got to start moving towards something. Well, how do I know what it is? Well, most of you are going to find out what it isn't. How are you going to find what it is? By finding out what it isn't. But if you're not moving, you're not going to find out anything. You're just going to waste your life in mediocrity because you'll never achieve anything because you're waiting on perfect. Perfect doesn't come to you. You've got to go make perfect. You've got to go chase it. So, what I love, this is, this is old. I, and this is years ago when I was teaching intercession prayer, probably 40 years old. Luke chapter 2, it's a real short sermon, but it's real powerful. And this is where we're going to we'll pick this up tonight. This is Jesus when he was 12 years old. I touched on this briefly last year. I'm in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to jump in at verse 41. Luke 2, verse 41. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Now, she's talking to the creator of the universe, the 93 billion known galaxies, you know, kumbaya. Why have you done this to us? And then she drags Joseph in to give some clout to her deal. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Jesus answered, but why did you need to search? He asked, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then 
He returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor of God and favor with man. Now, here's the thing I've tried to teach my kids about being successful. To succeed, you're going to have to get information. God says, my people are stored for a lack of knowledge. I know you know you're born again, you're spirit-filled, you're going to church, we've been water baptized. I, I do believe you know you're saved. What do you know after that? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Who are you? What are you supposed to be doing? Do you know that? You won't know that if you don't chase God and ask him. Now, Jesus, you know, Christ, Christ Jesus, God had a situation. We, this is what we did last year. When Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up in the garden. He told the devil, one day I'm going to come in the flesh and take this back. The entire Bible is a story of two men, the first Adam that lost it, the second Adam that got it back. When Adam and Eve lost it, the devil got this planet legally, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He is the legal God of this planet. He steals, kills, and destroys, John 10, 10. That's why there's hell everywhere. Satan's in charge. God's not in charge. God gave it to a man. A man gave it to the devil. Well, how are we going to get it back? A man's got to get it back. God can't cheat. He can't show up like Superman, take it back from the devil, hand it back to Adam. God doesn't cheat. So God realized, I'm going to come. He knew. He knew Adam and Eve were going to go stupid. I'm going to come in the flesh, and I'm going to take this back. So, you know, what we got? Well, we got silent night, holy night, we three kings of war and are. I mean, that's why it's there. Because God had to say, I've got to come to earth, but I've got to come as a man. But even that's not legal. I must find a man on earth who would give me his son. And through that covenant, I can legally be born there. So that's why Abram and Abraham, a man that's 100 years old that had no kids, but God appeared to him and said, you're going to have a child. You're seated to be the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. And Isaac's born at 17. He takes him up to the mountain to run a knife through his heart, to stab him. God said, I need you to go sacrifice your son. When the knife went up, God stopped him because in his heart that knife came down in your heart earth man in your heart you just gave me your son so now that you just gave me your son through your family I can give my son so you take Matthew chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 the family line of Mary and Joseph go both go back to Abraham God was born here legally he had to come as a human why a human lost it a human must get it back God doesn't cheat so the second member of the Godhead inhabits the womb of that mother. Who's in there? The creator of the universe. Who's that kicking in her belly? The second member of the Godhead. Jesus, he's Christ, Christ, not Jesus said. He's Christ, the creator of all things. John 1, 1 through 3. You see it, he created. Where's he at? He's in that mother's belly. His spirit. What did God need to do? Prepare a body for him because to be here on earth legally, you need a body. He's got to come as a human, thus Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, God had to be born legally. The Bible says in Hebrews that when he came to earth as a man, he laid down his glory in heaven. He's still God, but he cannot do anything as God. If he does anything as God, he cheats. It's always quiet. This does not go well in the south. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I've done this for 20 years. You start getting into this territory, that's why I hope your family and I still get invited back after this morning, but I'm trying to help you. This is what I've told my kids. You need to understand, Jesus said, the things I do, you'll do also. Nobody believes that. <laughs> sure, you're the son of God. Yes, but I didn't do anything as God. If I did anything as God, I cheated. Thus, silent night, holy night, you know, the virgin birth. A man lost it. A man must get it back. It's in the Bible. Now, I'm trying to you know, just hang on. It's going to get better. Watch this. He's got to be born. Who's in there? God, what's he going to do? He's going to do everything as a man. 
So there he's born, the virgin birth, you know, and even that. Who is this son of God? They can't even get a hotel room. I mean, opposition challenged him the minute he showed up. Man, we've got to ride that donkey over there to pay taxes. We can't get a hotel room. You know, shepherds are showing up while Joseph's trying to cut the cord. I mean, it's just a wacky night. Angels are gum flapping. What in the world? You know, and of course, the wise men, there weren't three. There were hundreds of them. And they brought up what most theologians in any denomination will estimate the value of the gifts brought to Mary and Joseph for Jesus in our day would be about $4 million. Mary and Joseph were not poor. They didn't get the barn because they couldn't afford a hotel. They were trying to find one. They were full. Mary and Joseph were not poor. There's no scripture anywhere to even come close. But what do we have here? Well, it's Jesus. He's got to show up as a human. Well, you know the whole deal. And you, pretty soon you don't hear anything about Jesus after Silent Night, Holy Night until he's 12 years old. God gives us nothing. Now, we do have some, you know, side scriptures you can read. He didn't walk on the pond. He didn't raise dead frogs. He didn't call lightning bugs down into his hand. He's here as a man. A man lost it. A man's got to get it back. Now, here he is at age 12. This, this one passage here. Let me kind of break this down for you. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12, they attended the festival as usual. That means ever since he was born, every year they go down to the festival. It's a 63-mile walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's a four-day journey. There's thugs and robbers and thieves on that road. You never traveled alone. You traveled in a caravan to get there. Four-day journey. So they'll go down for four days. The festival is eight days. We've got 12 days gone. At the end of day eight, afternoon, they leave about 1 o'clock, head back. Another four-day journey to go home. You've got to be committed to go to this thing. Well, they've been down there, they're headed home, the Bible says, and they left. They didn't know Jesus was not among them. Why? Well, because they're in a caravan. There's kids and cousins of people and donkeys and camels everywhere. They've done this for 12 years. Where's Jesus out? He's with his cousin somewhere. He's with his younger brothers. I don't know, but he's here somewhere. We do this every year. They went about four hours back toward Nazareth, and they made camp. Sun's starting to go down. They're looking, what, you know, sitting at the tents, everything. So Mary tells Joseph, get the kids in here so I can feed them. Well, they bring the kids in, and we estimate they had two to three other kids by that time, naturally, between Joseph and Mary. Jesus is still the oldest. Jesus didn't show up. Where's Jesus? They can't find him. Mary says, go get Jesus. Come in here to eat dinner. Joseph goes through the whole camp. It's a big camp. Comes back, says, he's not here. Mary says, what? I can't find him. Oh, come on. He's got to be here somewhere. I'm telling you, Mary, I've been from one end to the other. He's not here. You mean we've lost Jesus? We have lost the Son of God? We couldn't have lost one of these other ones. We lose this one? Of all the ones to lose, we lose this one? Now, it's dark. There's no Ravac flashlight or Coleman lantern. They've got to wake the sun up. Well, it's four hours back to Jerusalem. So they hoof it back to Jerusalem for four hours. They're looking all over for Jesus. Now, where do you look for a 12-year-old boy in a big town? Well, I'd go to the movie theater. You know, I'm going to go down to the video arcade. I mean, the bowling alley, he's somewhere. Where's he at? For three days, where were they looking? This is Mary, silent night, holy night, we three kings of our virgin birth, Mary. This is Joseph. The angels appeared to him twice already. You know, Joseph, where were they looking? Well, they never evidently looked in the temple. They never thought about church. Where would a 12-year-old boy, where's that? Well, a 12-year-old boy, certainly not in church. And three days later, they're standing there frantic. They haven't seen Jesus in four days. And they we've looked everywhere. We've lost the Son of God. Where have we not looked? 
And somebody said, well, we've not looked down at church. What? Maybe he's in church. I don't know. He's kind of a little wacky, you know. He's different. And they walk in and there says, Jesus, what's he doing? Well, the Bible says he's talking to the elders, asking questions. What's he doing asking questions? He's the son of God, the creator of the universe, holding everything together by the power of his own word. Where's he at? He's in that boy's body. But that's still a natural human with a natural mind and his own soul. The spirit of God in him knows everything, holds it together. The soul is still trying to figure out who he is. What's 12-year-old Jesus doing? You can read it in any translation. He's trying to find out who he is. Doesn't he know? No, that's why he's asking questions. He does not know who he is. Was that not the spirit, the creator of the universe? Mm -hmm. His spirit, he knows all things in his spirit. His soul doesn't know that yet. He's trying to find out who is no different than you and I have to find out who we are in him, in whom, in Christ. If we don't, we're living a defeated life because we've not found out who we really are. I'm a child of God. I'm surrounded with a shield of divine favor, Psalm 512. God orders my steps, directs my path. Psalms 91, angels camp around me. Everywhere I go, no evil will come near me or my dwelling. If you don't know that, it can't happen. Faith pleases God. Faith whips the devil. Faith is what you believe to be the truth. That's why God said, my people are destroyed for lack of no knowledge, no faith. What's Jesus doing? He's not cheating. He's finding out who he is. So Mary and Joseph come in. Of course, this is Mary, you know. I mean, Jesus has been normal for 12 years. The man probably doesn't make his bed, leaves a mess in the kitchen. Who knows? She's probably forgot about the angel. She said, what have you done this to us? We have been frantic. Jesus' simple answer was, well, now, now he's 12, but he does know some things. Well, didn't you know I'd be down here in my father's house? Exactly where did you think I'd be? And said they didn't understand, so he goes home. Well, now, we don't know another thing until he's 30. You can read it. We knew nothing from Bethlehem until he was 12. At 12, we get a glimpse of one day. Disappears again until he's 30. And so you jump over two chapters. We'll pick this up tonight, but I'm going to show you something. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to jump in. um, I'll jump at verse 14. Now, Jesus has turned 30. When he turned 30, he left the carpenter shop one morning. You read over two more chapters, Jesus' brothers have come running into the house to their mommy, Mary. said, Mom, Jesus is not down at the carpenter shop. People need the furniture, and he's not there. What do you mean he's not there? He, he took over Joseph's business. What do you mean he's not there? He's a great carpenter. Yeah, but he's not running the business. He's left the office, and he's not down there. Where's he at? Well, he's in town. What's he doing in town? Well, I don't know, but he's stirring up trouble. Men, they say their eyeballs popping in people's head, the hands are growing out, and dead people are waking up, and hungry people are getting fed, and he's just making a mess. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's in there. Mary took the sons to go get him because it says New Living, she thought he was out of his mind. Who? Jesus Christ, Son of God. What did Mary think? He's out of his mind. Why? She's not seen any of these miracles. She just saw the angel, you're going to have the Son of God. And, well, be it unto me according to the Word of God. I mean, she knows that, but evidently she didn't know anything else. So here we are. Jesus is 30. He's left. He's gone out and found that camel hair wearing, bug eating Baptist who dunked him under the water. When he came out of the water, the Bible says, heaven opened up. God stuck his hand out of heaven. Here's what he said This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It said humans didn't understand, they thought it was thunder. 
who did he say it to? His son. What's he telling him? You're my son. I'm real pleased with you. He heard it. He's 30. What do you, he just Now, he's been trying to ask questions. He's been in the synagogue his whole life. And all of a sudden, you know, it says the Holy Ghost led Jesus into the wilderness to square off against the devil. While the devil's been looking for the Son of God since the Garden of Eden, he couldn't find him. So, so God said, come on, big boy, here he is. And they squared off in the wilderness for 40 days with three. It is written, it is written, it is written. What did Jesus, the human, whip the devil with? Same thing we're supposed to do, meditate in this day and night. Then we'll probably have good success. Third John 2, Joshua 1, 8, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. He did the same thing and illustrated what we're to do. How'd you whip the devil? This. Three times, hit him straight up. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus is coming back into town after this great, you know, things happening. So I'm going to jump into verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly. Everybody say regularly. regularly. Every Sabbath he was down there in the synagogue. He never missed church since he's a kid. He's been listening. He's been asking questions. He, now he's teaching. He taught regularly in the synagogue and was praised by everyone. Verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, where everybody knows him, he went as usual to the synagogue. Where are you at? I'm home. Where are you going? Church. You go to church all the time. I'm right here. It's my home church. I read, I stand up, I share scriptures. It's home. That's where he's at. Now watch this. So he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this is written. Now when you went to the synagogue, the men took turns reading. It's like Sunday school. Well, it's your turn to read the quarterly. You read page four, you read page five. He didn't pick it. It was handed to him. Isaiah the scroll. Okay, we're, we're almost 2,000 years old. This is an old scripture we're going to hand to you. It's your turn to read it. He unrolls it, and here's what he reads. He starts reading this. This is Jesus. He opens it up. They're all looking. Nothing unusual. Men do this every Sabbath. Jesus opened it up, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading an old scripture, a prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now, where he sat down, if you ever go into a synagogue, there is a very elaborate embroidered chair in every synagogue. That's Messiah's chair. Nobody sits in that chair. They're still waiting in Israel for Messiah to come back and sit in that chair. They've prepared a place for him like they were commanded to. When Jesus finished reading this, he went and sat down in that chair. Nobody's supposed to sit in that chair. Now watch it now. And I'm reading, you can read it in all translations. I like this. He wrote up the scroll, handed it back, and he went and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. It wasn't because of what he just read. That scripture has been read a hundred times. It's where he's sitting. He's just reading that, you know, the of the Lord's on me. Kumbaya, kumbaya. He sat down. Now watch this now. All eyes looked intently. Then Jesus began to speak to them. And here's what he said, sitting in Messiah's chair. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now what's going on? The 30-year-old Jesus it just got the full revelation of who he is and what he's doing here. 
It's no different than you and me. Every day you go to church, read your Bible, you pray, you repent, you forget. What are you doing? Growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. What are you doing? I'm finding out every day who I am in him, in whom, in Christ. I'm growing in the things of God. What's Jesus doing? Growing in the things of his Father. What did he do this day? That's me. I mean, he's sitting there. What do you know? I mean, I kind of had thoughts, and you know, Mary's told me stories, and I'm him. I am the one. Now watch. He just said that everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. <laughs> and he read that good. That was good. We're going to have him read more often because I'm telling you, nobody reads like he does. We should have him read more often. I'm just trying to, I've been there, I've been on sudden. I know what they're looking like. That was good. And all of a sudden, now they're bragging on him. That was good. And then all of a sudden, here's the next sentence. Now, how can this be, they ask, isn't this Joseph's son? He just said he's the one. Now, I'm sure they're sitting there because the synagogue's real packed. They're talking like, he just said, the scripture's been fulfilled this very day. And he's sitting in Messiah's chair. And so everybody said, boy, that was good reading because most people aren't conscious. They're not even aware of where he's sitting. They're just like, well, wasn't that good? And all of a sudden, somebody said, what, what, what did he just say? He said he's the one. The one what? You know, the one we've been waiting on. You know, Messiah. See where he's sitting? He thinks he's the one? He's not supposed to be sitting there. That's Joseph's son. You know what happens? You start growing into the things of God. Your family and friends think, where are you going? Are you in a cult? <laughs> what are you believing? Why? Because when you're in the world and you start coming out, they wonder, what happened to you? Nothing. I just found Jesus. I'm finding out who I am. God wants me blessed. The head not the tail. God wants my kids to be obedient and successful. God wants my spouse sucking lips off my face. It's in the scripture. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but it's in there. Watch this now. That's, isn't this Joseph's son? Then Jesus began to speak again. He's sitting in that chair. You will undoubtedly quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did at Capernaum. But I'll tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown or his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel uh, in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Let Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner. The widow Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman the Caesarean. Now watch this. When they heard this. Now this all took place in about 60 seconds. He's finished reading. He sat in the child's beside his chair and said, this scripture has been fulfilled today. I said, well, wasn't that good? What did he say? And he's been talking. It's taken about 60 seconds, maybe a minute and a half. The same people who spoke about a minute earlier, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed. It's been about 60 seconds since they said that. Everybody spoke well and were amazed. The minute he said that he's the one, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Whoa, it's getting ready to happen. Jumping up, they mobbed him. They didn't take up an offering. <laughs> they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I've told my kids, my job is to help you find out who you are in him, in whom, in Christ. Your job is to be obedient to God and go be a blessing. If you're willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. You're going to spend the rest of your life serving God by serving people, doing what you were created to be good at, stewarding your life. 
You spend most of your life feeling stupid. You're trying to get a friend in school. You're trying to get a date. You're trying to make the ball team. You're just trying not to act weird. You're trying to wear your hat backwards in the britches of a 400-pound man, play your music real loud. You're trying to get some affirmation from somebody because you don't know who you are. You're a show-off. But eventually, you're going to find out who you are. If you thought hell was bad before you knew who you were, the day you find out who you are in him, in whom Christ, hell's going to show up. There is not one recorded prayer of Jesus for the first 30 years of his life. Not one. When he turned 30, the day he found out who he was, hell showed up. Mark 4 says, when the word of God comes, the devil comes immediately to steal it away. Why? He is terrified of this. This is Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's why let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. When Jesus left that day and they couldn't kill him, he became a praying machine. He got up early to pray. He stayed up late to pray. He went off by himself. Why? Because he now realizes I'm him. Who are you? Well, I'm the son of God come as a human to buy back the entire planet. What are we going to do? There's a plan. We're going to trick the devil into killing me. I'm going to die for sinful man. I'm not sin. I've come to die. But we've got to trick the devil into killing me so I can buy them back. He knew the plan. Now, even, even at that, and I'm trying to summarize this before we pick this up tonight. Even in the Garden of Eden, when Jesus is praying, you remember when he prayed? He said, Father, can you let this cup pass from me? Because he knew he was going to die. We're going to, well, I'm going to have you die. All right, then. But now he's starting to get a revelation of how he's going to die. We're going to get the, you're going to be beat to a pulp, son. They're going to rip skin from your flesh, drive nails in your hands, and they're going to put you on a cross and hang you up there. He's getting the revelation of how it's about, he's realizing, oh, whoa, his humanity's praying. Father, I mean, God in him knows what's going on. It's his soul trying to catch up. Father, is there some other way we can do this? Nope. All righty then, not my will, thy will be done. You know, <laughs> when he was taken to court, he told him, said, listen, if I wanted to right now, I'd call so many angels, you couldn't count them. I know who I am. I know what I can do, but I know what I'm supposed to. I'm here to die. I'm going to get the dog. By my stripes, many are going to be healed. I'm about to buy back mankind and the devil to know. First Corinthians 7 said, had the devil known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Because the minute Jesus died, it cooked his goose. That's why the veil was rent. God had to come as a human to buy us back. Now, the point of this is where we're going tonight. We're going to talk a lot about just plain, simple, simple prayer. Because until Jesus found out who he was, there's not one recorded prayer. But once he found out who he was and the hell started showing up, he was a praying machine. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. The Father and I are one. He didn't blink without the Father. That's why you couldn't scare him when the disciples woke him up in that storm in the boat. Don't you care we're going to drown? What's going on? We're drowning. He gets up and he says, hush, be still and stay that way. Scared the snot out of the disciples. And they said, what kind of man is this? You can read it. What kind of, even in the Greek, what kind of man is this that even the wind and storms? And Jesus said, why didn't you do this? When they couldn't cast the devil out of that little boy, he said, oh, leave little faith. When are you going to get this? I did it. You're supposed to do it. What's wrong? You lack faith. You got, what it means is it's not that they didn't know scriptures. They had become worldly again. 
They had gone back to living like the world. That's what he was scolding them for. When Jesus came out of the grave and walked into that upper room where the disciples were praying, he didn't use the door. He walked through the wall just to mess with them. First words out of his mouth after coming out of the grave. You know, up from the grave he arose. You know Easter. The first words out of his mouth to his staff was, oh, yeah, little faith. He scolded them. First words out of his mouth. When are you going to get this? The things I do, you'll do. And greater things than these we do because I'm going to my Father in glory and I'm going to send the Holy Ghost back. He's going to help you do the same things I did. The things I do, you will do. There is a, a religious spirit on a lot of the churches on this planet. Well, you know, that was Jesus. I mean, he was Jesus. That was Jesus. That's because nobody reads the book. Jesus came to take our place. He said, the things that I came as a human. I know what you're going through. I know what you face. I know what you feel. I came as a human. A human lost it. A human, you want you God? Yeah, but I didn't do anything as God or I cheated. That ought to make you have Christmas for a month. We're not taking the tree down. <laughs> Put on another CD. We're going to sing Silent Night one more time. Because our salvation has been bought and handed to us, man. It is an incredible thing. The greatest thing on this planet is the local church. Where you are this morning is the single most powerful life-giving place on this planet. Everything outside the local church is dying. Not us. We're the salt and we're the light. Christ and us the hope of glory. Hell's terrified of us. I say it every time I come. I say it every time I preach. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to make the devil break out into a cold sweat. Oh, dear God, they're up. Yes, we are. What are we doing? Well, the Bible says you and I will storm the gates of hell. You know what that is? That's where the devil's blinded people, hurt them, made them sick, poor, mad, angry, depressed. What is that? He's blinded their minds. What are we? We're coming to set you free. Just what, We're going to set you free. Blindness is about to be removed. Christ, that's the hope of glory. We got our armor on in Ephesians 6, and one of the things we do is we pray all the time. We'll pick that up tonight. It's real simple. Don't miss it. I don't keep it more than about 50 minutes. But I'm going to give you just a short list, and you can download it from my website for free. It's just about 15 real simple scriptures, just real simple that praying is what we do all the time. Why? Because we got the mind of God. And what we don't know, he'll show us. We'll ask him. Jesus told us, I know what you need before you ask. Just ask. I'll tell you. Because everyone in here this morning is dealing with something. There's already an answer. God has already made a way out. If Jesus found it, we can find it. So it's going to be good. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. When I was teaching my kids at Christmas time, we're going to all these scriptures. I'm trying to explain to them. I said, listen, guys. Listen. God has promised that if you fear him and delight in his commandments, which is what the son did, you will be successful. It didn't say that opposition wouldn't come. It says tests and trials come to everybody. It promised you would overcome, be more than a conqueror. That whatever the devil steals, he has to pay back seven times. It's promised. Quit griping about what you're dealing with. Just put a smile on your face, plead the blood of Jesus, pray in the Holy Ghost, and be a blessing to somebody. And watch God work all things out your good. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. And Lord, I pray if we are blinded in any area, 
In Jesus' name, this morning, take that blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes by understanding. Draw us out of your goodness. Father, I pray this over this great church every year. But I ask you for every family member here today and for all their download and downline of family. Everyone represented, I ask for three things. Number one, Psalm 3411, teach us to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and with that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. Surround us and our family this year with a shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at us with a new set of eyes. And bring to our families, Proverbs 27, 17, godly friends that will strike iron with us and cause us to grow and become all you want us to be. I count it as done. I believe the angels have been released. I believe the Holy Ghost is working. This is going to be a jubilee year for our lives, our families, our businesses, our homes. Things made right, devil's going to have to pay back what he took, Father, for we are about to rise to the forefront and become who you created us to be. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Yeah. Every head bowed just for 60 seconds. Every head bowed just 60 seconds. Nobody looking. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two questions. Are you here this morning? You said, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But God's been dealing with me this morning, and I'd like to do something about that. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. The Bible says those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. In just a few seconds, if you're willing to acknowledge that you need a Savior by simply raising your hand and waving it at me and putting it right back down, God promised he would save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to call you out. Men really don't save men. God saves men. But if you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. That's all that needs to happen. You can leave here born again today. Or perhaps you're here today and said, Joe, I am saved, but my life's not turned out quite like I thought. But I've been convicted this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer. We're going to pray with these other people out of Romans. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed. Take your sin as far as the east is from the west. Put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. It's that simple. So right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life this morning. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I need to rededicate my life this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. Would you pray that prayer with me? If that's you on either count right now, would you just simply get your hand up and wave it at me real good and put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you up there. Thank you for your bonus. Thank you over there. Right there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raising my hand yet. Please include your prayer. Yes, see your hands over there, both of it. Thank you. Anyone else? Listen, it's the easiest thing you'll ever do. God does the saving. He does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. Anyone else? Joe, I haven't raised my hand yet. Please include your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Hand, yes, I see it back there. Yes. All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So people, we're going to help them pray this morning. I want everybody in here to say this after me, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now 
Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith. With thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the many hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever, or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you according to your holy word and their obedience as of right now. They are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, as they leave today, would you surround them with a shield of divine favor? May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And would you bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron with them, cause them to grow and become what you want them to be. We welcome them both into the family and back into the fold in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God.